another episode of Product Thinking. I am Kyle Evans. And this week and this month, we are taking a look at the book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are by Seth Stevens Davowitz. I've had this book in my queue for a while now, and it seemed like it fit well, if somewhat loosely, with last month's book review of The Mom Test. Both books are about how people lie to us and to themselves and how we ultimately can uncover the truth. And of course, you can find my review of The Mom Test uh, at productthinking.cc. And of course, I have links in this week's newsletter. So you can check that out in the show notes, of course. The Mom Test focuses on asking better questions while everybody lies focuses on using better data. And I see these two as different sides of the same coin in order to truly understand people, their problems, and ultimately our society. We have to use qualitative and quantitative data effectively. We have to cut through the noise and the lies we tell ourselves and each other to get to the truth. This is true of most aspects of our lives. To make better public policy, we have to understand reality. To be better parents, we have to have good information. And since we're very interested in good product development and experiences, we need to truly understand our users and our customers, cutting through the fluff to get to the real problems. So, What were some of the key lessons from Everybody Lies? Let's dive in. So like the title states, Everybody Lies is focused on data from the internet and what it can tell us about human behavior. Stevens Davidowitz is a former Google data scientist with a PhD in economics from Harvard and uses both of those fields as well as data from Google Facebook, and even Pornhub to delve into insights we couldn't get a decade ago. Out of the gate, the author starts with the supposition that we can't know what people are truly thinking. Our private thoughts truly are private, and they tend to stay that way. And when we interact with others, we tend to lie or misrepresent ourselves for a variety of reasons. We all want to put our best face forward. It may even be because we're lying to ourselves and have every intention of only eating candy once a day, for example. But when the temptation arises, we often fall short. That's where big data can fill gaps. Big data, as defined by the author, is a loose term that simply describes the sheer volume, diversity, and quantity of data that modern technology allows us to acquire. So he goes on, to talk about the four powers of modern big data. And they are its novelty, its honesty, its abundance, and its ability to allow us to do experiments and specifically controlled experiments. So how can we apply all of this to what we do? So I took away three key points and I discussed those, of course, in in the newsletter and we will talk about them here. So the first point is honesty, honesty in the data. Uh, Information is only as useful as it is honest. That is the difficulty we often face in customer interviews, in surveys, and other information gathering. 
We are all dishonest in varying degrees. We all suffer from social desirability bias. So even on anonymous surveys, we may not be entirely truthful because we want to portray our best selves, even if it is only to ourselves. But as Everybody Lies points out, there are certain types of data that don't lie, or at least are much more honest. The book focuses on Google searches and searches to within other applications as well, which have little incentive to be dishonest. We can search for anything without necessarily feeling judged or worrying what others think. This leads to interesting and sometimes disheartening results. The author points out that despite the progress the United States has made regarding racism, the data tell a different story. And while this book was published a few years ago, we can see that many of the problems we had hoped uh, were on the mend in America have only been exacerbated, especially recently. But what about in software development? The book shares an interesting story about the Netflix recommendation engine. And this story perfectly described my Netflix rental habits uh, before they began streaming in earnest. So in the early days of Netflix, you actually got DVDs by mail, which of course is hard to believe. We lived in crazy times back then. You would select a queue of movies that you would like to watch next. And when you return one DVD, you decide which one you'd like to receive next. Most of us would fill our queue with aspirational movies like documentaries and award-winning films that no one remembers. But when it came to actually getting the DVD, we'd pop the action movie or the comedy up to the top above all the documentaries and other movies. Netflix saw this behavior. It saw what we said we wanted to watch, like the Civil War documentary, and what we were actually watching, like Top Gun. And it created its recommendation engine based on what users were actually doing, not what they said they wanted to do. This is one of the critical lessons of data and user research. We have to base our understanding on what people, our users and customers and potential customers are actually doing, not what they say they are doing or would like to do. Because we all say we will watch documentaries, but when Friday night rolls around, we will probably choose Top Gun. So that is the first takeaway. Second takeaway is zooming in. The key takeaway here is that data allows us to zoom in on specifics in a way that we haven't been able to before. One of the most fascinating studies from the book for me came from the author aggregating data on baseball team fans. He found that fans of specific teams often correlated directly with who won the World Series, which is the baseball championship in the U.S., when the child was around eight years old. So kids were picking their favorite team and sticking with them into adulthood based on who was the most popular and winning around the time that they were eight. Now, I'm not a baseball fan. Uh, I don't have a baseball team that I support and, and never have. But this to me is super fascinating. When we're born and the timing of events matters to our tastes years down the road, taking a broad data set and then narrowing in on specific parts allows us to understand things that we couldn't have otherwise understood. So it may not be enough to understand that lots of people are fans of the New York Yankees, but zooming in on why helps us get a clearer picture. 
Segmentation can yield similar results for us. Understanding specific user groups can help us better understand why certain things work and certain things don't. In a case for one application that we created, we worked on better understanding specific user segments based on their job roles. As we broke apart the specific roles, we realized specific users were doing very different things. This helped us not only sort our data better, but also focus our development efforts in a more meaningful way. In our case, it was a combination of data and user interviews that helped us garner these insights. But zooming in on the right segmentation will yield interesting results. So that was the second takeaway for me. The final takeaway is experiments and experimentation. Data allows us to create or review natural experiments in a way that hasn't been possible previously. Two case studies really stood out to me from the book. First, we can now better understand incentives and patient outcomes in medical treatment. They often change Medicare reimbursement formulas for seemingly arbitrary reasons, and this provides an interesting natural experiment. Are doctors incentivized to adjust what tests they order based on reimbursement schedules? Do the tests have any impact on outcomes for patients? The answers, according to the book, are yes, doctors are influenced by incentives, even when the tests have no impact on the patient outcomes. So it's a very, very interesting experiment that uh, we run, not intentionally, but can review based on the data to see how incentives impact how doctors do their work, and do those same incentives have any impact on the ultimate outcomes for patients? Very interesting. So how can we use experiments? Most of us in product development are familiar with A-B testing. It used to be difficult to do. It is now so easy and so ubiquitous that we'd be crazy not to A-B test our software. But are we testing? In my experience, not frequently enough. Many large companies like Facebook and Google are heavily invested in A-B testing to the point of absurdity in some cases. While many of our companies aren't invested all that much, we assume our features will work best as designed, so we don't test our alternatives. But we should. We need to understand not only what works best for our businesses, but what creates the best experiences for our users. And that comes from testing and iterating. Often the results will surprise us. We may not think doctors can be influenced by money when it comes to what will help their patients and what won't, but the data say otherwise. So what other interesting things will you discover and will we all discover as we experiment? So that is the final key takeaway for me from the book. So some conclusions. At this point, most of us have an understanding of big data. It doesn't need to even have quotes around it anymore. We know what it is. We know why it's important. Most of our products are busy incorporating more data or at least trying to incorporate more data. And using data is critical to understand our world, to understand our users, and to understand ourselves. But it can't tell the whole story. It can point us in the right direction. 
tell us things we may not have known or guessed, and give us insight we may have overlooked. But as Everybody Lies suggests, we still need the human element to make sense of all the data we have. We are humans first, and data can never tell that whole story. So we can use data to help paint an honest picture, but it can't and shouldn't replace insights and interactions. It can and should supplement them. It can help inform our decisions, zoom in on problems, spot trends, and change broad behavior. Ultimately, it can help us change the world, but we have to ensure that we are changing it for the better. So that is my review and thoughts on Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and what the internet can tell us about who we really are. Again, check that out. Link in the show notes for the newsletter as well as the book. Uh, A couple other interesting reads from this week's newsletter as well. Uh, Dystopia is upon us. Are you ready? An article. Of course, speaking of data and its potential misuses, uh, quoting from this article, Jules Polensky, founder of the Future of Privacy Forum, an advocacy group that develops privacy protection for ethical business practices, warns that there is a risk for everything, including what you do, hear, and see, to be tracked and analyzed if governments don't set boundaries on the types of data being collected and how it's used. He advises that we need a national privacy law to set the baseline for responsible uses of data. So the debate continues and how and where and why we should be using data and how to protect that data. And whether governments will even be able to do something like that and whether they will even be responsible enough to help us protect our data online. Uh, Interesting stuff. Um, And of course, not all bad news, but uh, interesting from Microsoft and NVIDIA. They have built the largest ever AI to mimic human language, another article, on the vast amounts of data being used to... (laughs) Like I said, mimic human language. So quoting from this article, uh, Microsoft and chip manufacturer NVIDIA have created a vast artificial intelligence that can mimic human language more convincingly than ever before. But the cost and time involved in creating the neural network has called into question whether such AIs can, can continue to scale up. The new neural network, known as Megatron Turing Natural Language Generation, MTNLG, has 530 billion parameters, more than tripling the scale of OpenAI's OpenAI's groundbreaking GPT-3 neural network that was considered the state of the art up until now. So fascinating. The successor to GPT-3, which not that long ago was uh, the state of the art, the thing to beat. Uh, so it'll be interesting where where that one goes. And of course, uh, released a another podcast uh, last week uh, on product by design. Uh, this one was MVPs, product launches, and learning new skills, a conversation I had with Jason Sherman who is an entrepreneur, a filmmaker, a futurist. And we talked about all sorts of things from MVPs to constantly learning new skills and iterating your ideas. It was a great conversation. So check that out. The link in the show notes. Uh, Of course, uh, if you 
want uh, more, uh, don't forget to follow this podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to the newsletter, productthinking.cc. And you can follow me on social medias like Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And I will talk to you next time.